0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wild Roof Journal's podcast episode with Kelly Gray. Um, So we'll get a little bit of an intro from Kelly to start things off. Kelly, you've been on the podcast once before. Uh, and you've been a uh, contributor to Wild Roof Journal in uh, most recently, our issue number twenty one from July. So uh, if you if you would just uh, introduce yourself a little bit, who you are, why you're here, uh, you can take it from there.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's always a a pleasure to talk with you and be a part of Wild Roof Journal. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So I am a writer. I do poetry um, quite a bit, but also creative nonfiction and fiction. And I live uh, in Northern California on uh, Coast Miwok and Kashia Pomo land, right at the border um, of those two traditional lands. And I'm here today because I have a new chapbook that was just released from Tusculum Review called The Mating Calls of a Spectre. And it is a chapbook that feels very dear to my heart. It took me two years, although it's quite short, it took me two years to write. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I've been up to lately.
0: All right, cool. Maybe just as, a, as an entry point, just to get a little sense of like, how did you come to writing? How did you come to creative writing? Were you a creative person from the start of things? Um, did you come to it in a kind of winding path kind of way?
1: Yeah. I think that maybe all of the above <laughs> applies to me. Um because there's so I think when we're writing there's so many different ways we can engage with writing and engage with the world reading our writing. So when I started writing I was someone who was learning how to write and learning how to read. I was really young and I was compelled to write stories. I still remember my first story was very dramatic. Um and had little cute illustrations with it. Um, And I, as I entered my preteen and teenage years, I was pretty prolific with it, but it was something that was very private to me. Although my family knew that I did it and had encouraged me to apply for this writing program we have in California through CalArts, which I did only because my grandfather asked me to do it. I didn't really want to go, you had to travel to say I live in Northern California and I had to go to Southern California for it um and I for some reason was accepted into this program and ended up leaving and and going there and had this experience that really marked who I am as a writer which was I was sharing my poetry uh with the the student body and they had a really negative reaction to it. And I was writing about things that were, um, I think now would probably teens would not blink an eye at, but then uh, was definitely deemed inappropriate for a young lady to be writing about. And they circulated a petition. They didn't want me in the program anymore. And I was a pretty sensitive kid. This was not the reaction that I anticipated. It wasn't an easy reaction for me. It didn't make me feel validated in my writing (laughs) at that point. And I left having the distinct feeling that I didn't want to share my work anymore because I had this really horrible reaction to it. And that that stayed with me for decades. And I'm 46 now. I'm <laughs> asking myself, am, am I 46? I'm at the age where you forget how old you are. And um, it wasn't until 39 or 40 that I really woke up with this urge to share my writing again and seek publication. And once I decided I wanted to do that, I had to figure out how to do that, which was a different, different relationship with writing because then it was like, well, okay, I write, but now I want to be published. And that's very different, as you know. And so it's it's been really wonderful sharing my work and feeling like I'm at a place in my life where I don't have to be responsible for other people's feelings about it, but it took me a really long time to get there. Sometimes I wonder what if I had had someone that was mentoring me that could have walked me through that initial experience? What if the adults in that scenario had been more responsible in facilitating a conversation? You know, who knows? But I also think that much of my writing that existed between that time and getting to my 40s maybe wasn't really meant for the world anyway, that my views on the world weren't as formed as I would want them to be. So, yeah, so that that's how I came to writing. I don't have um, any formal training. I don't come from an academic background with it. Um, I, I just really did wake up one day and was like, oh, I want to be published and then tried to do it. I'm still trying to do it.
0: That's an interesting path in itself, but maybe we can just pause for a, a moment on like the, that, it, maybe that initial scene, like if we're kind of like sketching out like a like the movie of your lifestyle, like the scene of like getting a negative reaction, like especially at, a, at that young age and that, that kind of formative experience. Because on the flip side, many people, whatever it is, doing something creatively or just kind of taking a step out of their comfort zone. A lot of times there is like a, maybe a story of like having that initial just, it's called like maybe beginner's mind or some beginner's luck. Sometimes they call it, oh, I just first gallery show when I sold something. Look at that. And then like, that gets you hooked and just happenstance of feedback. But
1: I, had the, something, experience. I, mean, I
0: had the opposite experience. <laughs> it was and like you, quiet. And,
1: that was yeah. the loud and clear message. That yeah, I got.
0: but I mean, just the, the importance of that. And even you you um, acknowledge that it took you a long time to to just work through that and and be more in a, a place of, stepping back from it and say, yeah, whatever, whatever the reaction is, that's fine. Um, but do you, I mean, do you recall, like, was it a conscious thing where you said, oh, this isn't for me anymore? Or is it just something oh, that kind I of- Oh, I
1: was terrified. Aside, or, it was very yeah. much conscious. I mean, I was absolutely terrified of the reaction. Um, it very much marked my the, the way that I thought about writing, which was, I'm going to have a negative reaction to this. I will also share the second time that my work was shared. <laughs> also as a teenager, um, I was living in a foster home in Montana, and I was 17 years old, and I was in a public high school English class, very small. This was a very small town in rural Montana. There was 200 children in kindergarten through senior year, so there was 25 kids in my senior year class just to paint the picture. And as a kid from California, I definitely stood out. And my English teacher, um, we had a pretty good relationship. And I think that he recognized that I took writing seriously. And he took an essay that I had written about an argumentative essay on whether I was arguing for a bill that was being passed in Montana. I forget the bill number, but it was for censorship or against censorship. And of course, my essay was against censorship. And I used LGBTQ rights as the foundation of my essay. And he liked the essay enough that he submitted it to the local newspaper to be printed, but he didn't tell me that that was happening. And the community that we lived in did not, the majority opinion was not on the side that I was taking at all. And so I arrived in school one day to discover that everyone had read this essay and were teachers were furious at me, uh, not just teasing, but threatening, um, And I called my foster mom, Sherry, up and said, you have to come get me this feel like I don't feel safe here at all. And I was in tears and she came and got me. And I still remember the conversation in the parking lot. She said, you know, whether you write or whether you just want to be true to yourself, you're going to have to get used to this. This is the reaction you're going to get. And you're only getting this reaction because you're doing it well. And that. Although I still had that terror, and that terror stayed with me of that reaction, I think I took to heart what she said, and I ended up becoming a community organizer for decades, and I was really focused on telling other people's stories and how to support people in telling their stories, but it just took me that long to turn it on myself and so that was really like the realization that I had. Um, but just to, to answer your question very simply, yes, it was very much a voice that was like, don't do that. That's so scary. Don't do that.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's, and I don't write anything to
1: just <laughs> to say, like, I don't consider myself writing anything like particularly radical now. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on where where you're at and the perspective that you're taking with it. Um, but once you're told that your writing or your stories are powerful enough to have people, like to elicit anger, for instance, that can really impact you when you're a young person. I teach now in the schools. I'm a poetry teacher for elementary to high school age kids. Um And I think I probably ended up there because I want to do some of that healing work for other people still.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, you can't really overstate the importance of that kind of support, encouragement, you know, when when a student or adult or whoever has something that they care enough to, to share or put out there. Um, I can, you know, speak for myself. If I share something and get a good reaction, like it feels good. It makes me want to do it more, Um, you know? So it's, it just kind of taps into that sense of that, that belonging and community and just everything that goes into those things that are run so deep. That's kind of, yeah, that's interesting. And
1: kind of dangerous too, right? Like that idea that we, that feel that, you know, there's nothing that will make my day more than getting an acceptance letter or a (laughs) kind rejection letter, (laughs) you know, either one, I'll take either one. And, and I have to really check myself on that because I still think that's external validation. And yes, we're in a community and we want, we know that that's our access to share our work, right? Publication to me is just like a way to, to be able to not burden my friends reading <laughs> my work right it's just like getting it out there to a larger audience and and being a part of a conversation but I still I worry sometimes about how much I want that or seek that and I, I worry the same for other poets in the community as well
0: yeah that's always a good consideration or question um I think if just off the top of my head like it's maybe a fine line i don't know if you can always make a you know hard distinction but it's like as a writer or creator of anything like when you let the response or the anticipated reaction like affect the what you're creating or what you're putting out there that is usually just kind of you know speaking to people and getting a sense of that process like that's kind of the the distinction of like okay i did it i'm putting it out there it feels good if i get a good response as opposed to I'm doing something I think is going to get the response I want and then right. putting it out there. It's always there, but yeah, I think just in that clean sense and just genuinely like I created this in, in that in that way and it's out there. Yeah, of course. It, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong to like feel good about <laughs> that kind yeah. of sense of validation or or acceptance or whatever it is that's, you know, it's a sign that you're being heard. That's always going to feel good, you know, You're that you're heard. And even if it isn't, this is the greatest thing ever. It's accepted. It won an award or something, but just it's acknowledged. It's heard. You're part of this this process going on. And even you can think of it in that way. Yeah, I wrote down the need for a mentor. I think that's like and, uh, just to acknowledge that point too, like, oh, important that process is maybe even in adolescence, young adulthood, adulthood, beyond, that's always something I think that can be helpful. But yeah, maybe we can touch on your your new chapbook, Mating Calls of a Spectre. Um, was there any particular distinction of the writing process for these poems? You mentioned it took a couple of years in, in the making. Um, was it just a collection that came together? Was it more of an organized process?
1: Yeah, it kind of started as something that was organized, then fell apart, then came back to being very organized. <laughs> um, it started as a collection that I was exploring about murder ballads and actually had a completed chapbook around that. But something was not sitting right with me about it. Like I really felt a discomfort about the harm that was taking place on the page. And I also felt that there was a voice that was starting to develop that I needed to spend more time with. So I kind of really did a major revision where I just took out so many of the the poems and just trashed them. Um, And then realized that what I was left with was someone who wanted to, to interact with well, basically, let me, I'll just say what the book is about. The The book is about a young woman who wakes up, who is waking up to being a ghost for the first time. And she's starting to realize uh, that across this rural landscape out through the field, she can see her town and the house she grew up in and the school that she went to. And there's this Draw this pull that's pulling her back to haunt the town and the people that participated in her demise. And so the book is very much about memory and how memory lives in our body and the things that will pull us back. And it's also about uh, really about rape culture and how many small moments can make up a death of a person or parts of a person. Um, and in the book, there is not any, I, you know, there's a lack of graphic depictions of, of murder or rape that is not in this book. Um, and that was really important to me. And I think that that's where a lot of the time went into is how do you talk about something like that without actually repeating harm on the page? Um, for sure someone could read this and it could be triggering for them or bring up memories and, and double down on harm. Um, so acknowledge that there is a content warning with this, with this chap. Um, but once I started to see the voice and hear this person and, and let her be in the lead of creating the world, then the chapbook just kind of came together as a whole. And I really feel like it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I get it. I wrote it, but I felt like it was really giving over to this other voice and letting her lead the way.
0: Something that came through like a a character. Is that something you've worked with before a lot? Or I mean like um, almost not in that in kind poetry. of fictional realm?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. So not in poet not in my poems. Um for sure. There's some poems that maybe bring out a little bit more of like a maybe like a little hidden persona that I have or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but No, this was very much a a character that was developed like I would within a short story. So this is the first time that I just wrote to a character in poetry.
0: Yeah, that's interesting too. And it gives it that kind of narrative arc aspect of a a collection, which each individual poem may be able to stand alone by itself, or at least some of them would be. um, I don't think they can actually. Oh, really?
1: yeah, when I was working with Tuscalo, Tuscalo Review is the the pu- the publisher and they were really wonderful. Um, and it was selected for their chapbook prize by Justin Philip Reed. And when I was talking to the editors and we were putting together a reading for it, one of the challenges that we all felt is like we have a limited amount of time. How do we pick and pull poems out of this? Because they very much have they work within that that narrative arc. Um, and because of that i had never submitted them individually to usually i try to you know vet my poem or see if my poems can get vetted by someone else before they reach collection stage but i did not do that with this chat book because i couldn't see them outside of each other
0: yeah so that maybe does lend itself more to like a a story format where you can't exactly take, you know, chapter eight and are to read this and it's, you'll get yeah. it. Um, yeah, so that is an interesting twist on that. One thing I out of the poems that I've, I've uh, encountered of yours, I love the titles. I think we've mentioned that. I mentioned that when I spoke to you previously. Is that something that you have a title first, a title last? Do you have like a notebook where you just write down a list of that's an interesting phrase, that's a title? that's something that um, you're conscious of because they are attention giving.
1: I think that I try not to limit myself with the title. I'm like, if it needs two lines, it needs two lines, you know, and that gets, that's not always easy because when you're trying to write a bio with these long titles, I'm like, Oh my God, like, can I calm it down for a second? Um, But yeah, no, I uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes I have a title where I'm like, I need to write a poem for this title and see what comes of it. Mm -hmm. And that can be act as a prompt. You know, it can get me creative. But usually I think what happens is I have a a first line or a line somewhere in the poem that I'm like, this is not fitting. This is not right. And I'm like, bump it to the title, see if that works. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think that's that's often where they come from.
0: Yeah, nice. So, yeah. Side note, um, your poem, The Everlasting Eulogy of Lush, which was issue eight, going back to the archives of Wild Roof Journal. So that was one example, one specific example I'll throw out there maybe one offshoot to that is like you mentioned like a, a line maybe not working and you think of it in maybe different places right opening line closing line title like you mentioned are there places in your creative process where you hit the wall gotten stuck hit a block the the chapbook that you just mentioned you said it fell apart it came back together again so you know there's something going on there so when you do you tend to have a plan in place or something like that, not to make it too uh, formulaic or anything, like when something just isn't working or you just feel like, yeah, I got that idea over there and I haven't touched it for a while. And you just feel that resistance to go back to it. Any like experience like that come to mind specifically or through the last book writing process?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, When I... I think my blocks come up in two ways. One is when I have an idea and I don't know how to do it, or I'm feeling self-conscious. And that block usually comes from how I imagine the perception being of the finalized product. And so I'm too much for, and I, I, reckon, I try to get to the point where I'm like, oh, you're thinking too much about the end product. Stop that. It's like really like a self pep talk, like just try to do the mechanics of writing and just really try like what is it you're trying to say just say that don't worry about how it's going to sound to someone else just say what you want to say so there's like that and then I think also there's blocks where I don't necessarily have a project or a poem that I'm thinking of and I, I just feel like I should write but I'm not writing and I don't know what to write and that can be really maddening sometimes because I know that when I write I feel better about Myself and I can process and grow, and so I'm like, come on, like there's growth, like you should be growing right now, and you're not, right? Um, and and sometimes I think that that's because I'm like physically stuck, and I need to like go out on a walk, and so that t- you know I will take a pad and paper or a device or something out with me, and just walk around in the woods and see what I can see and start writing as my body is moving, and I find that to be really helpful um but i also have a fundamental belief that we're writing all the time even when we're not putting words on on paper or screen whatever it may be and i try to remind myself that just living and being engaged in relationships or like the act of washing the dishes or just like having to go to work or whatever that's all feeding the eventual poem and that Uh, If I can just like let myself off the hook a little bit and experience life, that usually feels better to me. So like right now I haven't written for a while because the, the collection, you know, just came out and I always feel like more pressure after that to produce something. And so I'm just like, you don't have to right now. So I guess I'm, I'm saying just embrace the block, just be with the block and sit in it.
0: And I think, too, there is like there is maybe a difference between not writing yet being having an an awareness or an attentiveness to your whatever your day to day, which, you know, maybe seems mundane or whatever. just the routine, Um, but maybe going through that routine with that attentiveness, let's say, versus just being tuned out or, you know, just being totally kind of overwhelmed or stressed. Um, But, yeah, I think there is. There is something there because you'll notice that once in a while, during one of those mundane commutes or sitting around waiting in your car in a parking lot or something, then you know a poem strikes all of a sudden, right? And um, where did that come from exactly? So I think there is that that nice balance of not being too pressurized to um, to write, 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 but also not. Totally being disconnected from it, either. Do you have any any tricks of the trade? I guess we maybe mentioned one of them, like moving a line to different parts of the poem. Anything that came to mind in terms of like even just kind of a writing trick that you have in your back?
1: A writing trick. Well, I definitely like to when I feel like I'm getting close to. I I should start by saying I I like revising work as much as I like writing it, if if not more. Um, And there's this point that's a little hard to say, oh, this is exactly when you do this. But recording my work and hearing myself read it is incredibly illuminating every time. And I'll catch things that I just won't catch otherwise. Um, Having a trusted person who knows your work and knows your intention with your work that you can send it to. And I mean, outside of a workshop that you're taking with people you don't know, I mean, outside of a maybe a friend who doesn't write, I mean, like another trusted writer who can say, oh, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. And it doesn't even to me matter if I agree with what they're saying. It's just another way to get to know the work a little bit more. I, highly recommend that. Um and then also I'm someone who will often switch from I'll take a poem that's prose and then lineate it or vice versa quite a bit to to mess with line breaks and so sometimes I'll have you know like upwards of 10 versions of something just messing with line breaks. And it's funny because I I should like a confession this is not a trick I do not recommend doing this <laughs> to anyone but I compulsively will submit work before I'm like a hundred percent done with it. (laughs) And, but I think, I think in the moment that I'm done with it, but then if I would actually like step back, I'd be like, you were not done with that. Why did you submit that? And sometimes those actually are the, I'm, I have noticed that sometimes those get picked up more. And so it's interesting because I'm trying to learn when I've, you know, I think there's something that can be really a little messiness is okay, I guess is what I'm saying. And sometimes I think editors pick up on that and they're like, you know, or or not pick up on that, but appreciate that and and find that beauty in it, and that you can make it too neat and and take some of the original chaos out of it.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's not the worst. I mean, you you didn't uh, you didn't label this as advice, but it's not the worst advice. Maybe in in six poems that you're submitting, one of them is maybe a new one that you're not fully settled on. Just, what the heck? It's it's worth um, worth maybe that kind of approach to it once in a while.
1: I mean, do you feel um, <laughs> with your writing that you can get to a point where a poem could not be revised anymore? Because I don't know that I reached that point, really. I feel like I could always continue to to shape and mold in some ways.
0: Yeah, and if, that, I mean, the trick is to, if that's a, considered a trick, to, yeah, just to kind of like let it go. I mean, could it be revised more? Of course but I guess there's ones that I'm just good with the way they, they, the way they ended up and that's the way they ended up. Yeah. Um, But yeah, definitely. If you, if you allow it, you could definitely find some, uh, some changes to be made, even the ones that were published before for sure. Yeah. There is that, that element of like knowing when it's ready just to step away from, and that doesn't mean it's perfect. And that's, you know, that's a different task. I always like to include a little bit of practicality in some of these. Yeah. So that's, I think we got a little bit to chew on. So yeah, maybe uh, you could read one of your poems from um, your new chat book, uh, The Mating okay. Calls of a Spectre.
1: Thank you so much. Just to give us a little context, this is um, the narrator who uh, is in ghost form, is in the process right now of, uh, She's come back into town. She's seen her home that she grew up in. And she's taking her first journey out into the into the town in ghost form. Parade day. I pull the dress from the closet. The rose one that hitches knicker level. Pretty girl I coo. Mama porch drunk and screen door slap. A fly jumps. I walk myself to the cows. A rope for calf neck rolls in my hand as I watch a truck bed handsome man part a crowd to choose me, dead girl. The calf nuzzles deep pocketfuls of buttercup smashed into the smell of a field. When the last ballad is sung up through the bar like the call of a thick-throated dog, I drop through the back door and shimmy down a damasked hallway marked with smoke. My stumble, a wail in return. My bird song call in the mouth of a coyote.
0: Thank you. Excellent. So where would somebody go to get your book?
1: They would... Google Tesculum Review. <laughs> That'll just bring you to Tusculum Review. And then you can uh it's I think it's right now on their homepage, the mating Calls of a Spectre um chat book. And you can buy it as a chat book. It's a limited edition. Or uh if you buy their current edition, it's included within that, um, but not as its own chat book. So like you just of open it up and it's within there, within everything else, Um, but love when people buy it on its own. That is great.
0: Yeah, awesome. And then your website, your writer website is writegray.com. Yeah,
1: uh, writekgray at gmail. Writekgray.
0: That allows um, somebody to get some of the uh, the poems that have been published previously um, that you have links to so you can get a sense of your style. So we can kind of close it out with with that poem. So thank you again for uh, for joining me and uh, offering you so your selection. We'll have links to uh, to your stuff, your website and, and chat book um, on the podcast page. So you could head there. Uh, otherwise, I'll talk to you soon. Good night.
1: Good night, Erin. Thank you so much.